welcome back to the What Happened podcast uh, with Owen and Ryan. This is a very special episode, Owen. It's our first themed episode. It's a special Halloween episode. I'm you ready? Excited. As spooky. <laughs> Picture this, Owen. Elementary school. You're trick or treating. You dress as a ghost. You have a bed sheet over you with some eye holes cut out. You got that stupid little plastic pumpkin bucket that doesn't fit any candy. You got to get a pillow pillowcase. That's the pro tip right there. I grew up into a pillowcase. Yeah. As you're walking, your friend Jared tells you a story. And you think it's stupid. You think it's just Jared being Jared. But when you get home, you 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 lay in bed. And just belly full of Snickers and Reese's and Skittles. And you just can't seem to shake that story that Jared told you. So what do you do, Owen? You grab the nearest candle you can find and you go to a mirror. You wait till the clock tolls midnight. And then you say that dreaded name three times. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody. You think nothing happens at first, until you see a hand reaching out from the darkness. It's, you turn around and you see the ghostly visage of a pale Victorian woman's face as she, in one hand, clutches a dead baby and the other reaches out with a, with a bloody knife. And this is how she takes your life. So yeah, that's Bloody Mary. We're talking about Bloody Mary. The cocktail? Yeah. I legitimately hate those i don't know why they were the grossest things it's tomato juice with pepper yeah it's horrible and then they put like a celery stick in there (laughs) so yeah we're talking about bloody mary um it's kind of an interesting story i didn't really know the story of queen mary or the story of how it became bloody mary i didn't know why she was called bloody mary okay i also didn't actually know the story of queen mary but we'll, we'll get into it okay so the year is 15 16 February 18th in Greenwich, England, Mary the First is born. She's the only daughter between Henry the Eighth and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. So she's the she Mary is the eldest daughter of Henry the Eighth. So keep that in mind. And he killed a lot of people too, right? Didn't he like kill his wives? He killed a couple of his wives. Okay. So um, Mary was the perfect child. She was extremely well educated. She, uh, by the time she was nine, she could read and write in Latin, which is an impressive feat. I can barely write English, and uh, she would often entertain guests by playing uh, songs on the virginal, which is like a weird harpsichord. Okay. Um, Real Beethoven vibe. <laughs> uh, and her father Henry VIII would often boast to guests that this girl never cries. Weird flex. But as we all know, it's the weird ones, the quiet ones, that you have to watch out for. So in 1525, Mary's still nine. Okay. And her father sends her to the border of Wales to preside over the Council of Wales and the Marches. So I know they did a lot of stuff for like when you were young, but she was just like in charge of like a border, presumably at nine? Um... I think it was mostly just like 
she was in charge of it in name only. Yeah, and there's clearly a guy being like, no, Mary. Yeah, <laughs> this but... This is what we're going to do. But it's... I mean, like, this position was normally given to the Prince of Wales, so it still just shows that Henry... Trusted her. Trusted her. I think she's super smart. I mean, she's she didn't just, have a brother, right? Not at this time. Okay. We will get there. So though. that's probably also why she got the position. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Even though Henry thought that she could be a good leader, okay. he still lamented her for her femininity. Because, as we all know, Henry VIII always wanted a son to pass on his uh, title to. Um, he even went so far as to create a whole new church uh, just so that he could divorce his wives. Uh, what was that church? The Protestant church. At the time... Wait, so is that really how the Protestant church got its start? Yeah. At the time, England was Catholic. Okay. Yeah, now they're like, aren't they still widely Protestant? It's not like the whole thing with the Mayflower, right? They okay. wanted to leave because Protestant or something. I don't know, actually. I don't know. This might be somewhat of a history podcast, and I just <laughs> pulled that right out. Yeah, so um, he creates this whole new church. Mary is, it's important to note, Mary is baptized Catholic. Okay. Um, so wait, so she was probably, she was baptized well before Protestantism, whatever you want to call it, was established then, right? No, I, th- I think Henry had already done it. I'm actually not sure because his first wife, I think he created the church to divorce his first wife and this is his first wife. So then she probably already, Mary was probably already around, was baptized Catholic and then started Protestantism. I don't know if that's what it's called. I'm just, I'm just wondering. It has nothing to do with anything. Hey, Owen. Yeah. I really don't know. Okay, continue. (laughs) So Henry VIII starting this church, uh, divorcing all his wives, led to the uh, famous song written by the monkeys. It's called, I'm Henry VIII, I Am. And if I could uh, read you a quick lyric, it goes, I'm Henry VIII, I Am. Henry VIII, I Am, I Am. And Owen, I just think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, it hits deep. I'm sure it took him a long time to think of those lyrics. (laughs) The dumbest fucking chorus. (laughs) So, the whole Catholic-Protestant thing is super important. Um, We'll get there later. Okay. But for now, we'll fast forward to 1547. I'm excited. Henry VIII is dead. And Mary's younger brother, Edward VI, is king of England. Okay. So Edward had Mary removed from the line of succession. I get it. Because of the whole... Because Edward was a Protestant. Yeah, okay. So the whole religious... Yeah. So after Edward dies of the consumption, which is just weird... It's just the tuberculosis, and they just didn't know what it was, so they called it the consumption. Oh, I thought you were going to say he, like, ate something, but he, so just he ate, died of TB. He ate too much Del Taco or something. Oh, I could use Del Taco. Too many bangers and mash. <laughs> um, so, he dies, and uh, he appoints Lady Jane Grey to uh, become Queen Regent of England. Was she, like, his wife at the time? Or just a special little lady? Yeah, honestly, I don't remember. I think she was a noble of some sort. Okay, and he just didn't want a sister, so. Yeah, but she was backed by um, many leading politicians. Okay. So, when Mary heard about this, she gathered a military force and marched to the Tower of London. That's badass. Where Mary, or where Lady Grey was awaiting coronation. And then when all the politicians saw that Mary had an army, they were like, I guess we're going with Mary on this one. <laughs> so they arrested uh, Lady Jane Grey. They executed her father for treason. Um, and then, fun fact, after beheading Jane's father on treason charges, Mary initially spared Jane's life. And then she was thrown in prison 
and then Mary realized that she could one day become a threat to the crown, so she executed Jane Grey and her husband. Okay. On the charges of high treason. I mean, that's treason. That's you know, treason, being baby. Being elected by someone else and then volunteering and then... This, know. I mean, this was technically a coup because Mary was written out of the line of succession. So, yeah. But she was the king's daughter, so... You can argue it either way. Um, so Jane's rule only lasted nine days, and she was never officially coronated. I mean, at least she got a full week. Yeah, it's more know, than mo- more than I've been king you know, day or queen. Seven, you're really high up there, <laughs> <laughs> and then eight comes around, and you're like, oh no, Mary's here. <laughs> uh, so the, Mary already had a propensity for violence, but. It gets a lot worse, Owen. Did she kill someone by this time? Or was it just her executing these two people? Yeah. That's what started it for her? I think so. Okay. So, in 1554, Mary uh, married Philip of Spain. Okay. And uh, she acted as the queen regent while um, Philip would just sort of do stuff with parliament. Basically, Mary's in power and her husband is... Yeah, he's kind of a cuck. (laughs) Uh, Also, I looked up a picture of him. He does look good. He's he got some cool ass like leggings, like the you know the old timey like white tights. Yep. That, yeah, yep. drip. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now that she's married, Mary can focus on her lifelong dream of having a child. But this was difficult for Mary um, since she was a teen. She had a ton of menstrual issues, okay, including um, intense menstrual pain, um, irregularities in cycles. And frequency of cycles. So you could call her a Bloody Mary already. There it is. Um, I'm sorry. A horrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, all her doctors just sort of attributed this to stress. And miraculously, in 1553, when Mary was 36, she became pregnant. Okay. So the due date was May 9th. Oh, it's a day after my birthday. Oh, yeah. May 8th. First week of May, right? First week of May. Yeah. So, um... At this time, it was customary for uh, noble women to lock themselves away before they gave birth. Just wild to me. Yeah, so pretty much the only people seeing her were like her handmaids and like maybe like a midwife. Okay. Um, so no one had seen her for six weeks and eventually May 9th came and went, mm-hmm. but no baby. So also at this time, uh, doctors weren't allowed to examine a sitting monarch so they didn't really know what was happening so what they did was they just pushed the due date back to june question they weren't allowed to like any monarch or like a pregnant monarch in those six week period or like the weeks leading up to or they just weren't allowed to touch a monarch the article i found just said any sitting monarch it's wild they could not examine them oh god okay all right which is weird um so due dates pushed back to june and since no one had seen Mary for, like, pretty much a month at this point, some, like, rumors started spreading. Some people thought that the pregnancy was fake. Others thought that she had died in childbirth or she had a miscarriage. Um, other people thought that her belly getting bigger was just a big old tumor, which... That makes sense. Like a baby-sized tumor? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so eventually her belly started shrinking, though. And finally, in August, they determined that no baby was coming. And they didn't know why or how this happened. Did we ever, like, figure out? We will get to that. Okay, all right. So, 
<clears throat> Mary thought that this was God punishing her. So she gathered her resolve and set out on a new mission. Mary would reunite the Church of England. In 1554, Mary I would revive the Heresy Acts. I'm going to read the Heresy Act. Okay. The one that um, Mary passed. Okay. Because um, I think it has a lot of just cool language. Oh, boy. Uh, for the eschewing and avoidance of errors and heresy, which of late has risen, grown, and much increased within this realm, for that the ordinaries have wanted authority to proceed against those that were infected therewith. Be it therefore ordained and enacted by authority of this present parliament, that the statute made in the fifth year of the reign of King Richard II concerning the arrest and apprehension of erroneous heretical preachers and one other statute made in the second year of the reign of king henry the fourth yeah it's iv that's four right yeah, yeah okay henry the fourth uh concerning the repress repressing of heresies and punishment of heretics and also one other statute made in the second year of the reign of King Henry V concerning the suppression of heresy and lollardy. And every article, branch, and sentence contained in the same three several acts, and every of them shall from the 20th uh, day of January next coming be revived and in full force, strength, and effect to all intents, constructions, and purposes forever I'm not gonna lie to you i didn't follow a single word of that <laughs> yeah. i understood parliament so it's it's it's, a, it's wordy yeah it's like trying to read shakespeare so basically there were multiple acts passed by previous kings and she just like got rid of all those and then put her own up no so this so the three acts proposed by henry the fourth henry the fifth and richard the second all allowed for the arrest and punishment of those deemed heretics. Okay. And Mary's father, Henry VIII, had those repealed so that he could divorce his So, wife. and then she reenacted it, So then, yeah, this okay. act brought those three heresy acts back. Okay. So, um, now that Mary had reinstated these acts, she was specifically targeting the Protestants. She was always Catholic and resented her father and younger brother for their uh, Protestant beliefs. The uh, Heresy Acts being reinstated would lead to what is known as the Marian Persecutions. Now, I couldn't really find where they're called the Marian Persecutions. I thought it was because her name was Marian, but Mary isn't short. Like, her name's just Mary. Yeah, so I don't know. Could Um, it be like a place or a saint? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe it's a saint. My high school was called Marion. I couldn't tell you why. It probably wasn't off that. I have no idea, dude. So England has had some persecutions over the years. They're not like always the kindest people. So I've heard. You know, yeah. Shout out India. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, a lot of places. You could probably name a few. So uh, these were different from other persecutions, though. Um, firstly, they like Mary had nothing to gain from these. They weren't politically motivated. They weren't, like, to secure her place in power. It was literally just religious reasons. There has never been a solely religious persecution in British history besides this, I believe. 
but there had been none before this. Okay. Um, and the second reason they're different, Owen, I wrote your name in the in the script. I appreciate that. I put your name a couple times in mine as well. So uh, the second reason they're different is because they are the most brutal persecutions in English history. Okay. So eight hundred Protestants were forced into exile, and two hundred eighty-eight members of the Protestant Church were rounded up by force and burned at the stake until dead. Oh God, two hundred eighty-eight of them. Yeah, like women too, like not just dudes. Ugh. And like, there's like large public executions at this time, and but it's mostly just like a crowd like chucking cabbage at some guy until he gets his head cut off. But this is like people watch like watching people burn alive. Yeah, it can't be pretty. It can't smell great either. Yeah. Burnt flesh is not a appetizing smell. Yuck. So after this, Mary the First came to be known as Bloody Mary. Okay, by like the people that yeah, lived well, within England. It was mostly by Protestant writers. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then it just gain, right? sort China. of took off with everybody. Okay. Um in fifteen fifty seven Mary again thought she was pregnant. And in her will, she declared she decreed that uh, her husband Philip would be regent until the child grew up. But she never gave birth before she died in 1588 at okay. the age sorry, 1558, I believe, at the age of uh, 42. She was quite young. Is that young for those days? I don't know. I don't. I. I, have a, I think not, in this right? case it was younger than most. Okay. All right. Um, because she had no heir, Mary's half sister Elizabeth the first became queen after her death. Okay. And you know Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Like, like the, the famous the modern one? one. No, like the famous one. Like the Elizabethan era. Yeah. This. Like this that. is That's that her. Elizabeth. Okay. All right. So she really turned it around. Yes, she did. So, after uh, well, at Mary's funeral. Um, John White, the Bishop of Winchester, had this to say. And I think this is, like, the monkey's quote was dumb. I think this is actually, like, a really good quote for Mary. Okay. She was a king's daughter, a king's sister. She was a king's wife. She was a queen, and by the same title, a king also. That cut deep. She she just, like... analyzed the shit out of her. Yeah, she, like, had to... (laughs) (laughs) Like, she had to, um, like, fight her brothers and... She was, like, trying to get power away from her sister. It was a whole thing, and she came out on top. Sort of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of unknown. Like, I couldn't find anything on why this turned into a a weird story that you tell your friends. Yeah, you don't really know when that originated. Yeah, but, I mean, that's where her name's going to live on, I guess. Huh. I mean, I know, like, the whole, like, spooky season trick-or-treating Halloween was, like, in the 70s, mainly, I think. So, like, do you think it was probably, like, around then? Or was this, like, some folklore dropped from, like, the 1500s? Literally didn't find anything okay. about it. All right. All right. <laughs> um, uh, one important note. Um, it's suspected that Mary's frequent menstrual issues and false pregnancies mm-hmm. um, were caused by ovarian cysts or uterine cancer. I mean, that makes sense. So, maybe from that one pregnancy quote-unquote are we thinking it's an ovarian cyst or they don't know which one it was but an insanely late ectopic pregnancy but they also think that this is how she died was that was the cancer yeah that makes sense so that's the story of bloody mary owen i liked it all right and boy do i have a story for you ryan i've actually i'm actually really excited about this one i didn't hint at all as to what this was but you've spoken about it before so i'm kind of stealing your idea 
So what I wanted to do was find some like fairy tale or um, like nursery rhyme and find like a dark story to the nursery nursery rhymes, which like there were a lot of like the pocket full of posies was the Black Death, like that kind of thing. We all know that, so I didn't want to delve into that. Um, I tried to find something on the London Bridge, and I had this great like two page written thing on the London Bridge, and then I just found other articles that were saying it was fake. So well, it burned down, right? Burned down multiple times, but. All right, I'll mention it real quick. It was, you know, when you're, they're doing the London Bridge and then a kid goes underneath it and you wrap your arms around him and saying like arrest him or something like that. Sure. Um, I didn't have friends as a kid, or impressed so. him. They were saying that that was because that they used to um, immure kids within the Bridge Foundation, which means like bury alive. I do know they used to do that in churches. Yeah, so uh, that's why people thought it happened with the bridge, but then they couldn't find any actual concrete, literally concrete evidence uh-huh. Hey, um, that people were buried there, so I decided not to roll with it because it wasn't like a you know, matter-of-fact thing. Gotcha. So what I went with, another great Halloween theme, and one that literally everyone knows about, but I'm hoping to shed some more light on it, is Dracula. Okay. All right. So, everyone knows the famous Dracula. Well, right? can I just yeah. ask you a quick question? Yeah, of course. What's your Dracula? Is it Bram Stoker's Dracula? So it's Bram Stoker. Stoker. I talk about him himself. I talk about the Dracula See, itself, and then I also I'm, talk about I like, Vlad Dracul. I'm just saying, what's your preferred Dracula? Because I'm a, more of a Gary Oldman Dracula kind of man. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> So I'm just going to begin, Okay. Guess, all right? So you're obviously pretty familiar with Dracula. Correct. Um, so this is the true inspiration behind Dracula. Um, in 1897, Bram Stoker, an Irish writer, wrote a novel called Dracula. Great book. Uh, which has since become one of the classics of the gothic horror genre and is said to be the inspiration behind almost all vampiric, you know, vampire-esque things. So you can thank him for Twilight. I just remember that in uh, my... History class. Yep. We watched Dracula Forever. Like I think the OG it was. one? No, like the, the 50s the, one or the something? The Gary Oldman one. Oh, so that's why you like it. And there was a scene that he wouldn't uh, play for us because it had boobies. That's all I know. What, what grade? I was in high school. Oh, you're old enough. <laughs> uh, anyways, so uh, even though Dracula is a fictional character, Stoker did not pull this out of thin air. Um,. Instead, Dracula is believed to be based on at least one real historical figure. Uh, the most popular candidate for the inspiration of Dracula is Vlad the Impaler. He also goes by Vlad Dracul or Vladimir III. Good old Vlad. Yeah. So you see Vlad Dracul. You see where Dracula. You yeah. See, he was really original. Put an A at the end. Um, it's like when you when you copy someone's homework and they're like, oh, just change it enough so they don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's quite literally what he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bram Stoker. So I'm going to talk about the uh, the author for a little bit here. Give you some background on him. He was born in 1827 in Dublin, Ireland. He was the third of seven children. Um, Stoker, believe it or not, was bedridden at a young age from an unknown illness until he was seven years old and was allowed to start school. Maybe it was that vampire disease. Oh. Yeah, that's why I started writing about it. Yeah, so he had a pretty crappy childhood to start. So um, that's probably what inspired a lot of his like horror-themed... You know, like Edgar Allan Poe, yeah. he didn't have a great life growing up. Yeah. So um, instead of killing people, they wrote about stuff, which I feel like is probably a, a better outlet. Good way to release some stress, I've yeah, heard. Yeah, seems like a better outlet. Um, so uh, he attended Trinity College in Dublin. He got a bachelor's in 1870 and a master's in 1875. So he turned his life around, ended up being an insanely smart guy. Uh, he was the president of the Scholars Philosophical Society. Can I interject real quick? Absolutely. I just want to say that um, 
Another person who had a troubled childhood and mm-hmm. grew up to great ex- uh, success was the uh, guy from Pawn Stars. He used to have seizures as a kid. The bald guy. The bald guy. Well, the the his dad opened the store. Yeah, but yeah, but he used to have seizures as a kid and he was bedridden, and now he uh, has a, just an amazing TV show. He also like divorced his wife to get with like, this really hot girl, and like he's like younger than his son, so he's doing great. Your power moves exactly. <laughs> Um, so he got his master's and bachelor's. Uh, he was part of the philosophical society within his school. And that's where he wrote his first work. Sensationalism is fiction and society. That sounds like something I wouldn't enjoy. Yeah. It's Sam. I didn't delve into it at all because I was like, no, it doesn't have Rick from Pawn Stars. in it. <laughs> so Bram Stoker wrote many books prior to his famous Dracula. Um, two of the most famous ones, the waters moo M O U. I don't know if it's moo or Mau. I don't know. And the May. mystery of the sea. Um, these books were written in a place called Cruden Bay in Scotland. So what Stoker would do is he'd go around to a lot of places for inspiration. Um, Cruden Bay was his most popular one, but the one that really got famous was Whitby, which was a uh, small town on the English coast. That was the theme, or that's at least one of the places that uh, Dracula took place. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so in Whitby in 19... Ooh, not 1980... 1890 that one yeah the other 1980 would be in 1890 when it's first said he started to work on dracula he met armin vambiri sounds a lot like armin vampire so armin vambiri was a hungarian jewish writer and obviously an advent traveler armin born in svent georgi (laughs) i i uh, practiced that i think that's how i say it uh what was then the kingdom of hungary and now present-day slovakia on the ridge of the Carpathian Mountains. Now, that's important. Okay. I'll remember that. Um, so, uh, Armin's Dark Stories of the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, it's a 932-mile-long mountain range in Central and Eastern Europe, if you're wondering. Um, are believed to be the inspiration behind Dracula and Stokes' fascination with the area. So, essentially, he met this guy that was from here. The guy told him, like, all of his, like, n- native folklore. And that inspired Stokes to write about the area, which then inspired him to write about Dracula. Did it include him giving Bram the screenplay to the um, Hugh Jackman Van Helsing movie? I have no idea what movie you're talking about. Dude, you've never seen... Okay, you gotta watch that. It's a great Halloween movie. What's the movie called? Van Helsing. Oh. Okay. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) All right. So, um, Dracula was published in 1897... Uh, and it was called an epistorial or no ep, epistolary novel, excuse me, uh, which is a novel written as a series of documents. Um, so it was a written as a collection of realistic but completely fictional diary entries, telegrams, letters, ship logs, and newspaper clippings, all of which added a level of detailed realism to the story. Um, when the uh, when Dracula was first published in 1897, it was called quote a straightforward horror novel. Have you ever read it? I have not. Yeah, I don't imagine they let you read that in Catholic high school. Probably not. They... It's yeah, it's pretty good. It's like all letters. Um... Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, definitely a different way of writing. It's I feel like... like it'd be kind of interesting because it's not just like a, the normal. It's kind of like the original documentary. Okay. Yeah, you that's know? fair. Yeah. They like Borat. You know. I love Borat. Moet. nice. So, um, as you can imagine, Dracula follows the protagonist Count Dracula. Believe it or not. And his attempt to move from Transylvania, so the Carpathian Mountains in Transylvania, to Whitby, England, 
uh, so that he may find new blood and spread his undead curse. The novel also follows his battle with a small group of locals hell-bent on his destruction. Dracula moves from Transylvania to Whitby within the novel. So those are two very famous places in his life. I believe he like meets Dracula on the on a train or something in the book. I could be wrong. Like about the that. author himself meets. Yeah, the guy who's like writing the letters. Meets. Gotcha. Okay, so it's I not Dracula th- writing the letters. No, it's the guy. It's like um, I forget the main character's name, but it's he's writing letters about his interactions with Dracula. Gotcha. And um, I think he meets him on a train. I could be totally wrong about. I have that. no idea. I haven't read it. It looked kind of interesting though. So. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, Stoker's Dracula is generally thought to have been based on the 15th century Prince of Wallachia, which is modern-day Romania, Vlad III. Uh, Vlad was born sometime between 1428 and 1431, probably in, there's a very impronounceable name, so I'm just going to say Transylvania. Can, can I hear it? How many Ks does it have? So it doesn't have, it has, it's S-I-G-H-I-S with a squiggly at the bottom, A-O-R-A. I'm not going to attempt that Sayasora, maybe. I'll just Sayasora. say it's like spelled like Sai. Um, so he was born in Transylvania between 1428 and 1431. Uh, his patronymic, I don't know what that word is. Okay. Dracul means dragon, which is derived from a membership that his father, Vlad II, uh, was a part of. And it was given to him by the uh, Kingdom of Hungary for the defense of Christianity against the Ottoman Empire. So his dad earned this title, I guess we'll call it. And then it carried on to Vlad. So he was known as Vlad Dragul. No, Dracul, excuse me. And then, like I said, it was just called Dracula at the end. Okay. So that's where he got the inspiration for the name Dracula. Okay. Um, so in, um, in 1442, Vlad and his brother Radu were taken as hostages by the Ottoman Empire to ensure the loyalty of their father. Uh, in the book the vampire book the encyclopedia oh i can't say encyclopedia the encyclopedia of the undead j gordon melton explains that vlad's vlad's captivity in turkey had a deeply negative impact on him quote his treatment ingrained the cynicism so evident in his approach to life and infused him with a machevelin attitude toward political matters uh end quote this has also encouraged his strong desire and to seek revenge against those who wronged him yeah he really headed out for those ottomans yeah he was not a fan of the ottoman empire but to be fair he was enslaved like multiple multiple times by them i would say that the retaliation probably probably is a little over the top um so in 1442 he was imprisoned and now this was for six years so six years later he's released from the dungeon and upon release with the support of the ottoman empire vlad is um, given the throne of Wallachia. Okay. So I don't know why they decided to free him then, but they were like, hey, Vlad, we trust you now. We're going to give you the throne. Real quick, where is Wallachia? Oh, uh, this is all in uh, Romania. Okay. Or it's all in Transylvania, which is in Romania. Romania. Okay. Um, so it's it's on, it's like on the outskirts of the, ca- the what, what is that mountain range I said? Carpathian? The Carpathian Mountains. That's it. Um, so... Vlad occupied the throne of Wallachia for about six months. Uh, in autumn of that year, the Ottomans were like, never mind. Hey, he did better than Lady Jane Grey. That he did. Uh, so he lost his throne, and it was said that he was, quote, orphaned, betrayed, exiled, and chased through Central Europe's forest by his enemies, which are the Ottoman Empire. Um, you, you can see why this guy was pretty pretty pissed off, right? Yeah. 
1456, he regained his throne and remained Prince of Wallachia until 1462, when the Ottoman Empire once again took away his crown. Uh, in 1462, the Ottomans under Mehmed II, who uh, apparently this was really important, was the sultan who conquered Constantinople at the time. So I guess the Ottomans were just like... Was it Istanbul or Constantinople? Well, Constantinople at that time. It was the 1400s. So Istanbul, not Constantinople. I hate you. Uh, so uh, Mehmed II of the Ottomans invaded Wallachia in 1462. Um, but they were driven back by Vlad's use of guerrilla warfare. Uh, his power was well known throughout the Hung Hungarian Empire. Uh, and there's even a letter of written by the king of Hungary at the time um, that <laughs> that uh, Dracula boasted that he had taken the Zistov fort after a fierce battle and that about 410 Turks were killed during the siege. This fort's a little important to um, Vlad's history. Apparently this is where like a lot of his stuff was like dug up by archaeologists like over the past years. They found like cannonballs that were like engraved with his name on it and like Okay. So it's just a like really historic fort when it comes to him. Um, he took the fort from the Ottomans. That's really all it stems for. Cool. Um, so although Vlad and his armies had fought hard against the Ottomans and even his own brother Radu, who was working with the Ottomans, um, it wasn't meant to be. Uh, it is believed that Vlad ran out of money and could no longer fund his armies. So Vlad had to find someone that would help him. He thought the, hung the Hungarian Empire, the empire that's in charge of the region he's in, would help him out, right? Naturally. So... We're not sure if he was either captured by the Hungarians or if he went to them and then they were like, haha, no. Um, either way, he was enslaved by the Hungarian Empire. This guy has spent a lot of time in slavery. It gets worse. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, either way, he was imprisoned um, 12 years later. So, 6 and 12. So, he's been in prison for 18 years of his life yikes yeah and he's been just fighting battles the time he's been free so he's really not thriving so he hold on this guy gets arrested gets out after years and then just kills people so he's, and then yeah, gets so arrested again he's enslaved by the ottomans so that they make sure that the king of wallachia who is his father is stays loyal to the ottomans because they're like hey we have your kids if you do anything we'll kill them gotcha so he's enslaved for six years then and then I think his probably his dad might have died. And then the Ottomans were like, all right, well, we'll see how this goes with you. And then like six months later, they're like, yeah, no, just kidding. Then he went on the run, started fighting them, and then eventually got enslaved by the Hungarians. That sucks. Who were fighting the um, Ottomans, but they probably just were like, you know, Vlad, like you're causing way too much problems. We're going to hand you over. So yeah. it didn't go well for him. Um, so... Being captured by the Hungarians, uh, he ended up losing his throne to Wallachia to his brother, Radu, who, like I said, kept working with the Ottomans. So 12 years later, he would be released again. But this time it was because his brother, Radu, had just died suddenly. The Ottomans didn't know what to do, and they're like, I guess we're just going to give Vlad the throne yet again. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Vlad Dracul would once again claim the throne of Wallachia in 1475. I also, real quick, I like how... He has this name, Dracul, which mm -hmm. is like a title that was given to his father for like defeating valiantly the Ottomans. defeating Ottomans. And this guy has just been in jail for like half his life. Correct. Yeah. Um, also, I just love that he, he's literally called Vlad the Dragon. That's a pretty ball. That's name. a sick name. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he takes the throne in 1475. But as we've discovered, Vlad has horrible luck, right? Yeah. He dies a year later. Wait, 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 wait. He died? He died. So, yeah, believe it or not, he didn't, like, turn into a vampire and live forever. 
Wait, wait, what happened to all the impaling? So, we'll get to that. I'm just giving you a little story of his life. Okay, so, okay. Um, he died a year later, and they just he disappeared in a battle against the Ottomans. They have no idea what happened to him. But there are very strong reports that his head was taken to Constantinople as a trophy. Okay. So he clearly didn't disappear, but I think he probably was just, just like died somehow mysteriously someone found his body cut his head off and then brought it to the the sultan is the theory that he was killed in the battle so it, honestly i've found multiple sources and they all just kept saying he disappeared during a battle but he was clearly found if his head was cut there's also a report that he was buried in italy like his because that's where his daughter was his daughter was married to like a prince in italy so his body was taken there i don't know Interesting. That's not confirmed. That was like a very recent report that like archaeologists found this thing and was like, oh, is that Vlad's name on it? Hmm. So I think they're still trying to truly figure out what truly happened to him. Yeah. Um, so, so his life was clearly full of misery, torture, imprisonment. He just had a horrible life, right? Yeah. So what inspired a novel about a man who had just absolutely shit luck, right? Okay. Well, Vlad was unhappy and he had power. Now, today we know that someone who has vengeance and has power, that's probably not going to go well, right? No. So, what did Vlad do to still be known today as Vlad the Impaler? I would assume he impaled someone. That is correct. So, he was actually known throughout Europe during his time of being alive as just this cruel, devilish man. Okay. Now, I'm just going to dive right into it. It's going to get a little graphic here, but it's interesting graphic, right? Okay. So, the thing that really got him put to the top of everyone's like, oh shit list and why he was called the devil and everything was because uh, in 1462, uh, after he his forces were retreating from the Ottomans, uh, he impaled and put display some 20,000 people outside a city of Targovist uh, as a deterrent to the pursuing Ottomans. So he impaled 20,000 people. I don't know how many forces he had, but that's a lot of people. So these were like civilians of the town. Okay. And when you say impale, you mean stab with stick? Oh, I will go into grave detail. Okay. Of the impaling. Okay. So um, this was a very great deterrent and it worked really well because uh, member the second had to walk through this town and see the absolute carnage of thousands of decaying bodies being picked apart by crows, turned back and retreated. I would probably run away too. Yeah, I'd just be like, this guy's not like worth you it. You crest a hill and you're like, oh, there's the town, and it's like 20,000. Well, that's, that's not a, like a small area. That's a weird forest. I've never seen one like that. Yeah. And then you get up to it, and it's just people on. on... It's rank, and there's crows Ugh. flying around. Ugh. Yeah. I would retreat. I'd be like, dude, this guy's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not worth it. You can keep Wallacia. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you may be thinking, were these men alive when they got impaled? I was thinking that, Owen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They were. They were 100% alive. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the most common form of this torture slash execution would go as follows. The imprisonment would be carried toward the pole by men who would then place them directly onto the greased or non-greased pole. Depends on if you wanted them to die quickly or just like slowly as gravity pulled you down onto the pole. So, you know, what part of you goes on it? So, <laughs> sorry, I had to find my line again because this is going to be interesting. Okay. The man would be placed so the pole would be directly lined up with his anus. Okay. And with gravity and time, the pole would slowly and horribly impale the man until eventual death. Uh... So, do you remember earlier how I mentioned that in that fort that they found cannonballs? Yeah. So, not only was it theorized that the cannonballs were used to siege places, that it was also used to tie around people's ankles. Oh, so they went quicker. If they liked you. 
Because I feel like I'd rather just get it the hell over with than sit there for like a day and a half baking in the sun while something's like being slowly shoved up me. How big was like diameter wise? How big uh, is the pole? So they vary because they okay. would just cut down the trees in the area. Oh, okay. um, so it was a big deforestation act and then they'd plant the trees again just with guys on them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the poles varied. I don't think there was like an exact measurement. To gotcha. Um, There's also another way that they would impale you is that they were just like two guys would hold you. You'd be like uh, supine essentially and they would just put it through your abdomen. Okay. That one sounds preferable. Yeah. That one is definitely the preferred way to die. That's what. That's the one where they're like in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. They got like, more. They got to sweep know, the floors yeah, later. The first so fifteen thousand yeah. got it through the ass, and then, <laughs> and then the, the last five were like just toss them off. <laughs> um, so yeah, this happened to twenty thousand people at one time. Um, it's estimated that like, we'll get to it. We'll get to how many people he has estimated okay. executed. Um. This wasn't the only sadistic thing Vlad Dracul did. It is said that he would also, quote, roast children alive and have the mothers who watched eat the remains. Oh, my God. Also, he would rip the breasts off of wives, of so women, and then force the fathers, or excuse me, the husbands to eat it. So they, he would take families, cook their kid, have the mom eat the kid, and then rip the breasts off the women and then have the husband eat the breasts and then they would all be impaled did he get a michelin star probably wasn't that good <laughs> but so he would force you through this insane torture and then just like end up impaling you in the end you, you know what yeah so I, it's just like a horrible way to go so you may like some people may be like oh well people treated him bad and that's how he turned this way i i read something a while ago that said, like, when he was a kid, he would, like, throw dogs off the roof of his palace. Vlad? Yeah. So, oh. it's clearly, he's just a messed up person. I think he's very messed up. Yeah. I also do think it is a lot of how you're, like, raised in your early years. Because, like, a lot of serial killers had really bad childhoods. A lot of serial killers, killers also bumped their heads. Had head injuries when they're kids. So, hmm. maybe he fell. But he was also treated like shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was just an unhappy man. Um... So those were his uh, preferred methods of torturing and killing you. Um, so after this torture, he would impale all, all of them. Uh, it is said that he enjoyed this form of torture so much that he would have servants prepare him a meal. And if time allowed, he would sit down in front of this just forest of people while eating dinner and watching them scream in agony. I saw a um, like a, a painting of that. Yes, I also saw that painting. And it's really funny because like the painting, he just has the blandest look. Yep. As like he has like a bite of chicken in one hand, and like there's just people screaming all around him. So he was just messed up. Also, he had a big old schnoz. Did he? Oh, what in the pig um, in the painting? Yeah, massive nose. Oh, they didn't do him well, huh? <laughs> no. Here, I'll, <laughs> I'll find a picture. Perfect. I'm really excited. Um. So uh, there were no known like exact known numbers of his victims. We do know he killed 20,000 at one time. Uh, it's estimated that nearly 40,000 people lost their lives to Vlad Dracul. Uh, and as I said, his main torture was impalement. So about 40,000 people in the Transylvania area were impaled to death. I mean, Transylvania is not that big. No. That's I mean, like... I, I mean, I don't know. It sounded like he kept getting attacked and he wasn't attacking the Ottomans. So I'm not really sure. Um, so it had to be in the Transylvania area. It um, just, it, seems like that's like most of the people in transylvania yes probably especially like back then right yeah um so you're gonna have to cut this out i accidentally just closed my my notes speaking of cutting things out let me show you this picture of vlad 
This guy schnoz. <laughs> it's really big, yeah. Killer stash, yeah, though. I was just about to say, like, a hell of a stash. Um, all right. So, due to his 40,000 people, 20,000 confirmed, 40,000 that we believe he impaled, uh, he was then given the charming name of Vlad the Impaler, which he is very well known for it's today. It's fitting, I would say. Very fitting. Um, so, even with these horrible acts of mass murder, would you think that he would be hailed as a hero? N- no to this day he is considered a hero within romania because he defended not only christianity but also romania from the ottoman empire so he did tech he did really earn the dracul name then i guess he did earn the dragon name because he did end up fending these people off even though he spent like 18 years in prison yeah but like not only did he fend them off he also like killed forty thousand of them you know like i i feel like if the president was like don't worry guys we got isis but I'm, I made them eat each other. Yeah, you see like a, I'd be a, a like, press photo. Yo, Prez, like, that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little much. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, to this day, he is still hailed a hero within Romania. I'm sure not every Romanian is like, yeah, Vlad. There's probably like one reformed person exactly. that's like, can we really just like, forget <laughs> this guy? But so Vlad Dracul, or Vlad the Impaler, Vlad the Third of Transylvania, was the um, inspiration behind Dracula. Yeah, I yeah I could see that. Yeah, so it said that what, what was his name Armin something right Armin Vambri Vambiri was the one who told Stokes the story. Stokes spun it, and then came up with the idea of Dracula. And then that turned into a great Hugh Jackman movie. Oh my god, even the Hugh Jackman movie. But yeah, and that also inspired like every vampire movie since. Where does Nosferatu fit into this? Is that also Dracula? It's Nosferatu, is which like is a, a vampire. Yeah, because I've, I've seen like the old like black and white movies of Nosferatu. So, I think r- real quick to interrupt you, I think Vambri, Vambiri, the guy that told the story, told him about vampires. So I think that within this Transylvania area is where vampires originated. So there were already vampire legends within Transylvania. It was brought to this guy in England, who then spun it as Dracula was like the OG vampire, and everyone knows vampires because of Dracula. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense then. Yeah, it was like a small little rural, you know, story. I have heard, and I I can't confirm this, but I have heard that um, vampire stories are based off people with tuberculosis. I can see that because they're coughing up blood. They'll cough up blood and they'll always have blood in them. Who was it? Her brother. Her brother. Edward the Sixth. Yeah. So, yeah, they like always have blood in their mouth. Yeah, that makes sense. They'll be like, drink blood yeah. when really it's just like a horrible respiratory disease yeah, terrible disease <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah so that's the story behind dracula and the inspiration of dracula well i hope you enjoyed this special spooky episode of the what happened podcast i hated that i loved that all right <laughs> see you next time yeah thank you guys what happened